Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 66? To remind you, we are seeking to complete on Wednesday nights book two in the Psalms. That ends with Psalm 72. And if God would be pleased, I would hope and pray that we would begin a study at that point in 1 Samuel. So you can commit 1 Samuel to memory between now and six weeks as you have book two of the Psalms already. The great, fearful, terrible, awesome works of God. To consider the greatness of God can only be attempted in our frailty by examining his works. Now that means his works everywhere. His, his universal works as well as his personal work in me. This is what I believe the word of God reveals to the child of God who engages in a meaningful and deep relationship with God through his word and of course by prayer and worship. It starts out for all of us as just being an intensely personal thing. But we come to realize that while life in Christ, our walk with God is intensely personal, it is not individualistic. we find greater strength, a greater understanding of God, a greater understanding of His Word, when not only we personally engage His Word, but corporately with one another, studying His Word, relying on God, knowing that we all stand in this very tight circle together of faith in a true and living God. A lifetime of walking with God in His Word just enlarges us spiritually to the point where we come to realize that God has made us not just as an individual believer, but we come to realize that we are we are part of an eternal plan, and this is done by God. And that means that God has placed us, has infused us into His creation. So we're not just personally engaged with God or just corporately engaged with God. But by studying His Word and examining His works, 
as we grow in the Lord, we come to realize that we're part of everything that he does or has done. We're part, we come to realize that we are because of what he has done for us from before the foundation of the world and what he has determined in, in eternity, he has worked out in time. And the, 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 the deeper and farther we go into that, the more we realize that I'm actually a part of every generation of God's people. I not only fit in to where I am personally with God and corporately with God's people, but I have a place in His work, in His plan, in this world, in His creation, in His universe. I have this unique part. The psalmist, and we don't really know which, who wrote the psalm, most ascribe it to David. But the psalmist leads us into these thoughts in the 66th Psalm. And we begin and conclude all of it just by consideration of the, the fearful, the, the word awesome, I, it's translated a couple, of, I've used two or three different words to try to, to try to, um, build the import and weightiness of the word in the Hebrew here. But it's, it speaks of something that is fearful. You can't just, you can't just uh, casually think about the work of God without, without being humbled, brought to your knees. Before the great God who made us and who saved us, who brings us to himself and who gives us life forever, not just now, but into the ages of the ages. And so the word that's used, and we'll see it a couple of times in this psalm, the, the word is, the word can be translated awesome, but it, it means fearful or even terrifying. These things these things strike a note in our lives when we think of the works of God. They, they strike a note to make us realize that only God can do this. And God has revealed it to me in His Word. He didn't have to do that. I've told you, if I can remember my history correctly here, um, the, the cosmogony of cultures past in uh, in Moses in in Moses day you know it was it was it was Theobach um, Marduk two gods one good one bad they got in a fight one killed the other one the good one lived the bad one died and so the good God walks on the body of the bad God, and that stretched out body becomes earth. And the good God spits, and wherever he spits, a man would spring up. Men would spring up, start running around, and they'd start spitting. And everywhere a man would spit, a woman would spring up. And women would jump up and start dancing and start spitting. <laughs> you don't see that very much, do you? And everywhere that a woman would spit, an animal would spring up. This was the finest science of Moses' 
day. <laughs> well, it, and because we read in Hebrew, we read in the Bible that Moses was trained in all the ways of the Egyptians, raised in Pharaoh's house, the highest of academics. But Moses writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth without form, void, darkness upon the face of the deep. Well, let me move from there. Just maybe one other illustration. The cosmogony, cosmology of Isaiah's day. If I remember correctly, an elephant was standing on four columns and there was one in the middle that supported him. These columns rested on the back of a giant turtle swimming in an endless cosmic sea. And it was Isaiah who wrote in the 700s BC, Isaiah said he, I, Isaiah, Isaiah said he sits upon the circle of the earth. Think about that. The earth is round in the Bible well before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And then there was Job's cosmology and all this. I'm not going to get into all that, but the child of God is enlightened by the absolute truth of the Word of God. And we are introduced to the power of God, the mighty, fearful works of God. And in continual study of the Word of God, we come to realize that I'm here. And He has placed me here. And I'm with all of the others whom He's created. Not just that, but, but all of His cosmos. The greatness of His hand is not only seen in the far-flung galaxies and solar systems in the universe, but also seen in a transformed heart in the life of a man or a, or a woman. Psalm 66, so then let's consider it. First of all, considering his great work, his panoramic work. This is for the conductor, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to Elohim. All the earth, sing out the honor of his name and make glorious his praise. Did you know this is the purpose for which God has created us and to which God has called us? You, you see that in the, in the Revelation, but you also see it all through the Bible. God didn't have to make anything. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to redeem us. But for his good pleasure, he created all of us, everything, just to please himself. 
And in that pleasure, he would receive glory from it. And so, his, his, his active, soulish creation cannot help but sing the honor of his name and make glorious his praise. When you get to the book of the Revelation and you have this gathering of redeemed saints, the Bible makes this beautiful statement. And they sang a new song. Don't know what it's going to be. But it'll be something that we all can join in. Did you know not only that? Well, it is a biblical fact that we're, we're robed and clothed with great, wonderful robes. And each of us given a harp. That's a biblical tree. I don't know. You, you think that's a cartoon or something. Some of us have never played a stringed instrument. Doesn't matter. When a, when a person is saved, we read this in, in Ephesians, when a person is saved, his works, his works are there with him in his salvation. It's all, it's all part of who he is in Christ. This doesn't ever stop, and somehow some of us will be playing the low tones, and some of us the middle tones, and some of us the high tones. But together offer this unspeakable worship in a day that is yet to come. We get the feeling of it now. We're introduced. We cannot help but praise our Creator for what He's done. None. He's, he's, he's revealed Himself to us. The older I get, the longer I go in preaching the Bible and, and studying the Bible, the less I hold it against those who are reprobate. Because they just can't help it. They're dead. The scripture lives. The regenerated spirit in a born again believer bears witness as a living spirit with the spirit of God and the living word comes alive to him. An unbeliever has no part of that. He doesn't. He can't help it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know. He'll curse it. He'll, he'll disbelieve it. He'll mock it. He'll blaspheme the God of that word. And he can't help himself. That's who he is in his fallen nature. Jesus said, you must be born again. Now in that regenerated spirit, it is within the essence of our existence as a child of God, to sing out honor to his name and make glorious his praise. Say to Elohim, 
There's that word. How awesome, fearful, terribly wonderful are your deeds. Let me tell you what's behind this thought. I, I dare not question the work and power of God in creation. And yet now we do it all the time. I say we. Academic, academia does it all the time. Always. And it's been that way since the first, you know, yea, hath God said. To cast doubt upon the blessed holy word of God. So what he means here is the work of God is, is too fearful. Better not dabble with that. Terrible things can happen to you. If you call into question the mightiness and the creative power, the unique might of almighty God. And so those societies which collapse into those things come under judgment in, in, in many ways. Say to Elohim, how fearful are your deeds. This is interesting to me. At, right here, right here in this verse, the Holy Spirit through the psalmist doesn't say, tell the whole world. He says, you tell Elohim, I know that you're the creator and that your works are awesome and awful and terrible and wondrous. And we cannot even enter in to the process of creation. It's too far above us. We'll never be able to resolve it. Only Christ and his power Colossians 1 holds these things together, the whole cosmos, only Christ. And only Christ can break it up. When some infinitely glorious day, the elements, as Peter says, will melt with fervent heat. A universe-wide nuclear explosion when all of the subatomic particles no longer cling together, but they are released. The first heaven and the first earth are passed away. It's my observation that this happens as the great white throne of judgment is set up. And with the disappearance of the created universe, there are these things that remain. Christ and his elect. The wicked dead who have been spewed out of Ares, Ares, hell. And the lake of fire. And the books were opened, the book was opened, the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the damned who so horribly are consigned to the lake of fire. 
how, what kind of existence is there? Because it's then it is said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Sin will not be there, and it is, it is a realm, it is a, an existence that we cannot even imagine. Paul caught a glimpse of the third heaven. I think it was Paul. He said a man above 14 years ago caught up with her in the body, out of the body. I don't know. Saw the paradisos, the paradise of God, the third heaven. And he said, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not permitted to say anything else. Probably didn't have the vocabulary to say what it was. The greatness of your might. Through the greatness of your might, your enemies will submit themselves to you. This is eschatological, if you will. This is the end times. This is the last things as we understand them given to us from scriptures. The last enemy destroyed is death. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read the works of a thoughtful scientist who was a Christian, Henry Morris, maybe you've read some of his stuff. He was a tremendous creationist. And so he just using the basis of the time-space continuum as he understood it. He theorized how many people had lived on planet Earth to that point. According to his calculations, a whole bunch of folks lived before the flood because they, they uh, lived so long and just kept having children, you know, for hundreds of years. He said, according to his scientific, I ain't take this or leave it, it doesn't really matter to us at this point, but he said, it's possible that to this point, he wrote this in the 60s, it's possible that 32 billion people have lived. You can, you can get a pretty good, accurate uh, count if you go back to when a census first began somewhere and then go from there and count and, and see the expanse and, and the rate of growth and so forth. He added a few other things to it. And he said, let me be very liberal in this sense. Let me say that suppose 25% of all the people who have ever lived were and are saints of God. That'd be 8 billion people. 8 billion people. Now, I don't know. I, how, how, how should I? I just want to be one of them. And I'm not, if I'm, if I'm ordered to take a census in heaven, I will do it. Gladly. I don't know if that's going to be my job or not. You don't have to take it once, right? So, 
in his, in his calculations, if everybody stood before the great white throne, the unsaved dead, raised in corruptible bodies, outfitted to die forever, just be in the process of death forever. That would be 24 billion people. And if each of them, if each of them spent five minutes, an average of five minutes before the great white throne of judgment, then that judgment would take, I think he said something like three or four million years, something like that. Now you could hear some juicy stuff, right? Ooh, he did that. Ooh. I didn't know anybody could be that bad. I don't know how that's going to work out. I'm not the judge. I'll sit with the judge. But here's the point. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, including the enemies of God, of Elohim. Your enemies will submit themselves to you. This is the psalmist's way of saying every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now the first two entrants into the lake of fire, according to the revelation, are the antichrist and the false prophet. They'll be there by themselves for a thousand years before the next group makes it. You see, there are a lot of people in Hades right now. That's just a holding tank. That's death row. And it's torment. There's torment there. It's like a flame. But they're not in the lake of fire yet. There's a difference between those two. As horrible as Hades is right now and the torment of it, it cannot compare to the lake of fire. So apparently one by one, chained in front of the power of the awesome Christ, they will cry out. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the creator. You were the sustainer. You have been the sustainer. You are the consummator. And whatever you do to me is right. Because you are just. Go away from me. And I have this fanciful idea. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. So you get all these multitudes of saints and then the elect angels. <laughs> and the crescendo of praise and cheers. And it's just my fanciful idea that when the line is almost exhausted, the last one in the line is Satan. Probably won't be able to contain anybody at that point. Because his knee will bow and his tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then into the lake of fire he goes. Okay, so you see, enemies... Not just 
not just reprobate humanity, but fallen angels. Your enemies will submit themselves to you. All the earth will worship you and sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name, Silla. Well, so the only thing left, I, I have this feeling as well, that the reprobates in the lake of fire, it's outer darkness, so they're blind. They can't see. They're tormented in flame. So it's just awful. It stinks because the Bible describes it as sulfuric. And I think they continue to curse God even then. Because the other side of that is the crescendo, the swell of praise that comes up all over the world as Christ sets up his kingdom and the people of God prosper and are joyful for those thousand years. So, his panoramic work, how he does this to all over, everywhere, comes down for us to consider his peculiar work. Go or traverse. We are, we are invited by God to travel, to examine, to study, to study the works of Elohim. Go wherever you want to go. You can, you can be an archaeologist. You can be a geologist. You can be an astrophysicist. You, you can be a microbiologist. You can do anything you want to do. And the plain and simple truth is it will always lead you to the great creator because you will find a point and a moment in study beyond which you cannot go any further. God has brought you to that point where only He has the answer. So we have this invitation. Look at it, study it all you want to. Now the fools of the world theorize so many silly things. I've shared some of them with you. Through the years, you know, the Brown University guy who said that, um, that we, we have all descended, uh, we have all descended from something similar to a banana peel left by an alien on planet Earth. Now, this guy gets paid to write this. This is a long time. He's probably dead now. Another guy said that we are an advanced form of seaweed. I could go on and on. 
we're just as silly today in the halls of academia as they were in the days of Moses. Here's why. In the pride of humanism, we think that we're the center of everything and that we can figure it out. God says, even in his word, you can go so far and no farther. I invite you to go as far as you want to go. Awesome or fearful in his deeds toward the sons of man. Now he gets into a description of what God has done for his people. Peculiar. This is the peculiar work of God. Turned the sea into dry land. They went through the Jordan River on foot. It was dry. In him we rejoice. By his power, he rules forever. His eyes oversee or closely watch the nations. Do not let the rebellious ones exalt themselves. Silah. Okay. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage against God and his Christ? On down in Psalm 2. God is in derision. God is laughing his head off at these people who think to defy him. They have some purpose in some way else they wouldn't be in the position that they are brought to in the course of time and history. But as confusing, as awful, as dark as the world is today, there is this comfort to the child of God God's eyes closely watch the nations. He will not let the rebellious ones exalt themselves. They will, but only for a time. Only for a time. God will raise up some other nation to bring that nation under judgment. And so there are these revivals in history. Of where the might and power of God are acknowledged. Do not let the rebellious ones exalt themselves. Shalah. Oh, bless Elohim. Oh, bless our God, you peoples. And make the voice of his praise heard. He who keeps our souls among the living and does not let our foot falter. Now, don't you think about that? That's our salvation. That's, just, that, that's not just breathing. In, in this present state, it means then the, the soul is the essential life of a man. Who keeps our souls? He keeps our souls. Who keeps our feet from faltering? He keeps our feet from faltering. You tested us, Elohim. You refined us as, through, as though refining silver. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and water and you took us out to rich fulfillment. You see, the refining fire burns away the dross. The stuff that clings to you that's not important and that you don't need. So in the case of silver or gold, with a, a rather low melting point, the purity of the ore separates itself from all the rocks and the dirt and stuff clinging to it. 
and the pure silver or gold is brought to itself, but it can never be that way until we pass through the fire. Never. Every Christian, every believer, every generation, there is a fire. We're passing, I think now, we're beginning to enter into a furnace now in this world as believers. But it's okay. He'll take us out to rich fulfillment. He says in Isaiah, when I cause you to pass through the water in the fire, I'll be with you. There's a good question. Would I rather be in the fire with God or out of the fire without God? From peculiar work to personal work. I will come to your house with them. This is the worshiper, okay? I will come to your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows. I cannot help but do it. Which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. Burnt sacrifices of fat animals. I will offer up to you with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer cattle with goats. Silah. What's the point? There are so many ways to worship God. To offer Him a sacrifice. To pay the vow. So many ways. Finally, his proclaiming work. So what is it? Okay. From the panoramic view to the peculiar people of God to the personal worshiper who now proclaim who God is. Come here or hearken. Listen closely. And I will proclaim or declare or tell all of you who fear Elohim what he has done for my soul. Now that's an interesting way for him to put that because not everybody's going to listen to you. Only those who fear Elohim. My mouth cried out to him. He was exalted with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I deny will not hear it. I'm his he said, I'll put your sin as far away from you as the east is from the west. What a benefit of salvation. But surely Elohim heard me. He paid attention to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be Elohim who has not turned my prayer away from him, nor his favor, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. Now it's built on a it's built on a root word, chesed. It's built on a root word that speaks of God's covenant love. God will not break his covenant. There, there is an unconditional covenant that God himself has established and is responsible for keeping with regard to him and his people. He won't cast me, he'll never, ever cast me away from that. Okay, we're going to stop there and have our uh, deacon prayer time.